My name's Cal. We work with uh, Answers in Genesis Canada. And if you're unfamiliar with Answers in Genesis, we are an apologetics ministry. So that means giving a defense for the faith. And we deal with a lot of issues, particularly in the area where a lot of people think that, you know, there are challenges with what uh, modern science is saying and what the Bible clearly says. So Bible and science type issues, these types of things. Um, if you haven't heard of the ministry before, you may have heard of the Creation Museum down in Kentucky. That's our U.S. office's uh, um, headquarters, and uh, they've got an incredible uh, facility there if you haven't had a chance to visit it. It's one of the only places on the planet where you can see biblical history come alive in a museum format. And of course, then shortly after um, um, they put that together, well, I guess it was about 10 years after, it was just a few years ago now, they launched the incredible Ark Encounter, uh, the life-size Noah's Ark. Anybody been down to the Ark Encounter here? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. If you haven't been there yet, really encourage you to do so. It's just a phenomenal experience for families. They're always opening up new exhibits. So even if you've been there uh, recently, uh, by the time you got back there now, they have a whole VR experience. You're going to be able to go into a room, put on some virtual reality goggles, and actually experience the flood. And I asked Ken Ham um, when I was speaking to him last time, is it going to be like an option can you, can you go in like as a believer or a non-believer? Like are you going to have two different experiences? But anyway, um, I think it's just one experience. But um, Also, uh, after the talk today, you may want to take advantage of this free DVD download. Uh, if you didn't come to the conference uh, we did earlier here this year, um, this is kind of the heartbeat message of the Answers in Genesis ministry, my version of it anyway. And so if you want to get a free DVD download of that, just text this message here or this number here and uh, put in as a message in your text, get answers, all one word. And we'll send you a free DVD download of uh, that message, Genesis, the missing piece of the puzzle. You'll get a lot more information um, out of that as well as we go through this talk here today. Well, the title of this presentation today is The Race of Man, What the Bible Says About Human Origins. You know, you may have noticed when you load up your social media feed these days or uh, get on the news, there's a lot of controversy about this whole topic of, of racism and races and, and so on. And many in the Christian church are even quite confused as to this, uh, this topic and how to really deal with it and, and converse with people. And um, so we're going to dig into that. But, um, you know, I, I grew up, uh, my, my dad was a diamond driller, mineral exploration. So we lived all over the world. I've lived in Cyprus and Panama, and I lived in West Africa, et cetera. Um, you know, and in traveling uh, during my younger years, I noticed, I, I detected racist attitudes in different places that I went. And, uh, and there's specific reasons for that we're going to dig into. Uh, people like to say, say, well, did you really travel? I said, yep. Can you, can you tell who I was? In that picture there? That's from, uh, that's from Africa. But I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents weren't Christians, and so I had a very unique understanding about uh, where we came from. That was the impression that I had in my head growing up because I went to state-run schools, and that's basically where they taught me that I came from. Ponds come over billions of years, then eventually ape-like creatures turning into people. But of course, with Answers in Genesis, we want to start from the Word of God in all areas. So, in dealing with this issue of racism, which I know Pastor Aaron's touched on, we're going to go a little deeper here. Let's dig into this because, first of all, we need to understand what racism actually is. 
Um, and a dictionary de definition from Oxford says it's uh, you know, prejudice, discrimination, or an antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. So right off the bat, number one, if you're going to be a racist or you, you believe in racism, um, that you have to believe that there's separate races and that yours is superior if you're racist, correct? But that's not what uh, the Word of God uh, would lead us to think, that there are separate races. If we start with the Word of God, and I said, well, how many races are there? If you go to Scripture alone, um, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. According to God's Word, there was a first man. Genesis 3.20 says Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Literally, Eve from Adam, right? And the two become one flesh. In Acts 17.26, Paul makes it clear, from one man he made every nation of men so that there should, they should inhabit the whole earth. According to God's word, there's only one race, the human race. We all come from two people. Now, I know there's a lot of questions that pop up in people's mind, but let's walk through this biblically. Um, people say, okay, well, there's these two people, but where, where, where do we get all the other people? Well, Genesis 5.4 says the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. He had many sons and daughters. The Bible isn't explicit on exactly how many there were, but we get some hints from, example, the hist historian Josephus mentions that Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters from Jewish legend, of course. Uh, as a matter of fact, he, he actually lays out in his work here that it would be tedious to name them um, but according to Jewish legend, there was 33 sons and 23 daughters. <laughs> it's a pretty big family, you know? You live a long time, there's no TV. It's like the ultimate homeschool family. It's just, it's amazing. But uh, yeah, so, you know, the, the Bible's very clear. There's only one race, the human race. Now, you know what's very interesting is in 2000, when they did the Human Genome Project, Okay. They didn't, that wasn't the, the aim of the project, but one of the things they discovered was exactly what the Bible reveals. Look at this uh, article, a uh, New York Times web article called Do Races Differ? Scientists at the National Institutes of Health recently announced that they'd put together a draft of the entire sequence of the human genome and the researchers had unanimously declared there's only one race, the human race. Now, again, that wasn't the purpose of the Human Genome Project, but if you wanted to know how many races there are, they could have just taken their Bible off the shelf, blown the dust off, and found out what God's Word had revealed all along. Now, why is this important, this concept of one race to our Christian theology? Well, let's look at Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Who's that first man? Adam. When Adam fell, the entire race became corrupted, the one race. It's only the descendants of Adam that can be saved. They're the ones that are sin-cursed. Romans 5.18, therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. What's that one act of justification? Christ on the cross. He's the redeemer of the human race. You see, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. It's the way he's referred to. Isaiah 59, 20, a redeemer will come. Hebrews 2, 14, since therefore the uh, children share in the flesh and blood. We're related to our savior. From, uh, he made from one man every nation of mankind. 
This is so important to understand. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. There was a first Adam and there was a last Adam. Both have to be in place historically for Christianity to be true. There really was a first man and a first woman. The first man was from the earth. From dust you came, from dust you'll return, Adam. The wages of sin is death if you disobey. The second man is from heaven. You see, this is actually a gospel issue. Some people say, oh, well, you know, that stuff, that's not really important what it says in Genesis. No, it's absolutely important because all Christian doctrines, directly or indirectly, are founded in the book of Genesis, especially Genesis 1 to 11, which is why our ministry is called Answers in Genesis. Now, when gospel issues come up, do you think God's enemies might want to discredit this? (laughs) Ah, yeah, that's what I've found uh, through my walk. And you see, if you take a biblical view of what the Bible says about where people come from, we've got Adam and Eve, and they had many sons and daughters, and then you get to Noah and his sons, and they're on the ark, and they're the only... Well, usually, the brakes come on at a certain point here when you're, you're walking through this. And uh, it's usually at this point here, you see people kind of touch the brakes, and they're like, whoa, 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 wait a sec. If you're saying that uh, Adam and Eve were the first two people, and they had sons and daughters, usually the way it gets phrased is this, well, where did Cain get his wife? You ever heard that question? Very popular question. Many Christians can't answer the question. Um, and it's not just, you know, atheists and, and, and skeptics like that that pose this question. There's all sorts of different religious groups out there that will uh, use this to supposedly discredit the Bible. Let me give you an example. You ever heard of the Wiccans, the witches, you know? Um, well, there was a book produced for teen witches by a lady named Silver Ravenwolf. I'm sure that was her given name. But anyway... Um, and she was teaching in this book how to proselytize your kids in public schools. Um, and look at what she told them to say. Here's one that'll really get them rolling, if you're lucky, it'll at least get them thinking. In the Bible, it says that Cain slew Abel, then left his parents, Adam and Eve, and went to the land of Nod. There he married a girl of another tribe. If Adam and Eve were the first humans, who or what did Cain marry? An antelope, a cheetah? He had children, so I guess he picked a woman. She couldn't have been Adam and Eve's daughter stolen from the Garden of Eden Hospital because we'd all be insane by now. Genetics have taught us a great deal in the last few hundred years, particularly the fact that you can't intermarry. After a few generations, the genes will break down and produce sickly or insane children. You know, Satan's very clever, folks. It's always the skin of reason stuffed with a lie. But do you see the argument? Hey, you're a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Great, great. Uh, Hey, uh, Cain killed Abel. Where did Cain get his wife? Couldn't have married a sister. That would have been incest. Oh, why don't you go ask your mom and dad, see if they know the answer next day at school. Hey, you got an answer? Uh, no. Well, let me tell you about another faith. Happens all the time. People don't have answers for their faith. But 1 Peter 3.15 says you are always supposed to have answers for your faith for the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. You see, what they're saying here, here's witches... <laughs> arguing from genetics to discredit scripture. Isn't that a phenomenal culture we live in? This is just insane. Anyway, if you break this down, basically you've got two objections. One's like a scientific or medical objection. You know, you can't marry someone close to you because if you have children, you're going to have genetic problems, right? Birth defects and so on. Um, And you're going to have a moral objection. You aren't allowed to marry a close relative. You're going to hear the word incest or something like that thrown out, even though it's a modern term. Now, to answer these questions, you need to know 
what the Bible says, but you need to know a little bit about science, and I'm not going to get into some heavy science here. Um, this is kind of like high school, you know, uh, textbook stuff, so you can look this up. But anyway, we need, we need to know a little bit about DNA. You know, DNA, the language of life. It literally is a coded language system. It's got four chemical letters, and those four chemical letters are laid out in three-letter words called codons, and these words spell out all the genetic information for whatever particular genome or creature we're talking about here. It's the genetic library in every living thing, basically. Now, the challenge with our library is because of sin and corruption, mutations are accumulating in the human genome. What mutations are is that every time we replicate, your, your individual cells are, are replicating, you, you collect these spelling mistakes, these mutations. Some of those spelling mistakes get caught in your germ cells, which then you pass on to the next generation. So this is actually what's happening to the human genome. It's degrading over time because the accumulation of mutations. So mutations, simply put, are spelling mistakes. You've got a certain sequence, and sometimes because of corruption, they don't um, replicate perfectly. And of course, you can get all sorts of environmental factors like UV light and cigarette smoke and don't get too close to Chernobyl and all these things that can mutate your DNA. You know, it was pretty cool growing up. I used to, didn't go to church, so I read a lot of comic books. You read comic books, mutations are awesome. <laughs> you know, you get a mutation, you can shoot webs or get claws or shoot lasers, you know, out of your eyes or something. Then you find out what a mutation is. You're like, I don't want one of those. Because mutations cause things like cystic fibrosis, sickle cell anemia. All sorts of really bad things come from mutations. Most of the time, mutations aren't a big deal. One of your legs is a little longer than the other. One of your ears sits a little lower. You know, it's not that, that big a deal. Sometimes they're catastrophic because they change the sequence of DNA. So these mutations are accumulating in the human genome over time. So we're degrading. Now, if this is what's happening to the human genome, more and more mutations, let's go back in time. Back, 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 back. In the beginning, everything was very Good. At the end of the creation, before sin and death entered into the cosmos, the world was declared very good by God. Of course, he created a good creation. There would be no sin, no death, no suffering, no mutations. Everything's fine. Let's look at this timeline we've got here, Genesis to Leviticus. We start off with Adam and Eve, everything's good, but then Adam sins. And the curse now envelops the entire creation. And over time, we would expect things like mutations. It wouldn't just flood the system, but they would accumulate over time. And eventually, 2,500 years after the creation, God actually makes a mandate. He creates a law against close intermarriage. Now, before that time, close intermarriage is quite normal in Scripture. Okay, um, Remember Abraham and Sarah, right? This is before Leviticus, obviously. Uh, remember, they married, and she was his half-sister. God didn't bat an eye. That wasn't a problem during these, these times, because assuming because mutations hadn't accumulated to the point where there'd be any problem with the offspring. Um, so you need to take the Bible as literal history to be able to understand these things well. Um, as a matter of fact, things must have been different back then. Uh, if you read the story of uh, Sarah and Abraham, remember they were wandering? And remember a couple of times Abraham told told Sarah to lie, basically. Say, don't, don't tell him you're my wife, just tell him you're my sister, which, because it's kind of a half-life, she's a half-sister, but remember that? Do you remember the second time he said that, why he said that? Because a, a king or a pharaoh wanted her for his harem. You remember that? Yeah? Um, do you ever look up and see how old Sarah was when that happened? She's 90. 
Now, I don't know what you, but I don't go down to the local mall and see too many young bucks going, hey, <laughs> nice walker. You know, I, I, I don't see that happening. So obviously, Sarah looked a little bit different than most 90-year-old women do today. That would likely be because of the lack of mutations accumulating in the human genome. You see how it all works together? So if you understand this in the beginning, and there was no problem with close intermarriage, okay? I mean, if you're going to get the population off the ground with two people, you're going to have to marry someone close to you in the beginning, as long as it's a lawful legal marriage, things like, you know, when people talk about incest, we're, we're talking about a sin-cursed world and, and things like that. But if you're going to, you know, you're going to have to start with humans, you're going to have to start with someone as long as it's a legal uh, marriage. So when you look at biblical history, when you look at what science is revealing, do these objections hold any water? Is there a scientific objection? No, because in the beginning, there wouldn't have been mutations accumulate to the point. That would have been at the time, 2,500 years later, God says, okay, it's, 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 there's too much corruption now. We've got to stop this. And would there be a moral objection? No, because it was no problem. God's the sovereign ruler. He sets the rules. There was no prohibition against marrying a close relative. This is such a common objection. We've actually... Got all sorts of resources with answers in Genesis. We produced a booklet, Where Did King Get His Wife? It's just such a common question most people can't answer, most Christians. Now, here's a question you'll often get, though. Yeah, but we, we can see that there's different races of people, right? We've got different skin tones and eye shapes and all this type of thing. Well, how do we explain this if we all come from two people? Typically, the most common way people try to identify so-called races is because of skin color. Now, we have skin color because... Well, all of us have a, a main pigment uh, for color called melanin. There's actually at least two forms of melanin. One's like a red-yellow form. That's kind of like what they call pheomelanin. And then there's one more like a blackish brown, and that's, that's more like what they call eumelanin. And so you've got at least two different um, types of melanin, and then there's all sorts of different uh, factors that affect your skin color, Okay all sorts of uh, different conditions inside and out, where the, the pigment sits in the cell, how deep it is, how much you have, all types of things. But um, anyway, just to keep it real simple here again, you can delve into the science on your own. Um, understand that if we've got at least two different types of melanin, okay, and scientists often use a convention where they use like upper and lowercase uh, letters to indicate like dominant and recessive genes. I'm going to keep it real simple here, but let's say we've got one type of melanin that's the A type of melanin. Now, again, a little bit about DNA. You inherit half your DNA from mom, half your DNA from dad. There's two kind of like slots at each position in the DNA. And those slots can be filled up with the genes, right? You've heard of genes, genetics. And so that could be coding for your skin color or your eye shape or, or, or your eye color, blood types, all those different things. And you can either have uh, like heterozygous uh, alleles, they're, they're called, so that could be they're, they're different, or, or, or they could be homozygous, which means that the slots are filled up with the same information, okay? But you've got these two slots, and depending on how they interact and, and, and so on, you can get these different variations. But let's say you've got an A-type melanin, and you've got a B-type melanin. And let's say you've got a dominant and a recessive gene. So when we look at this, uh, let's say you get expressed a uppercase A melanin gene. You're going to produce lots of melanin, right? And same with the uppercase B gene, lots of melanin, in little a, little b, etc. Well, look at the combinations you can start to create. If you've got all little a's, little b's, you're kind of like me, right? Not a lot of color. You see, actually, there aren't different skin colors. There's only one color. We're all a brownish color, okay? People say, yeah, but Cal, you're white, 
If I was this color, I'd be dead. Um, <laughs> so we've just got a little, it's just a shade of the same color, okay? More or less of it. And so when people say, well, what do you think, you know, Adam and Eve's skin color, what, what do you think they'd look like? They'd probably be medium brown. You see, if Adam and Eve, and we're only talking about two different types here, just to keep it simple, but let's say they had the big A, big B, little A, little B, right? And there's two of them. Their offspring, they could have been all colors of the rainbow in one generation, depending on what their offspring inherited. It's pretty simple. You can figure it out. You get your Punnett score out. Think of, think of this DNA mix like a cake mix, okay? You can take the same ingredients and a little bit more, a little bit less, and you get all sorts of variations, but it's all from the original same recipe. So, okay, that's from Scripture. In a sense, it's a little bit theoretical. Do we see this happening in real life? Absolutely. Here's some examples. Here's our rainbow family. They call this, this family the rainbow family. You see mom's very light, dad's very dark. Look at the kids. It's like a gradient <laughs> from light to dark, just depending on what they inherited. Look at these two gals here. If you saw these two young ladies walking down the street, okay, um, most people would look at them and say, oh, wow, they're two different races. Actually, they're twin sisters. Same mom, same dad. Isn't that interesting? But the way we're conditioned to think about race, oh, they're, they're two different races because, well, look, she's got dark curly hair and she's got, you know, no, they're twin sisters. Same family. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And you can figure all this out. It's, you know, this, all these different shades and stuff like that. It's kind of like going down to the paint store. <laughs> you know, and they got the little gradients of this and gradient. Oh, this matches with this. Yeah. Now, skin color is not um, the only way people identify things, of course. Uh, Sin-cursed humans do all sorts of things to try to identify why they're superior to other people. So let's take eye shape variants, for example. We've got all sorts of different shapes of eyes. People say, well, Cal, you've got like Caucasian-looking eyes, round eyes or whatever, and this person has Asian-looking eyes or whatever. But see, what we see in all the different people groups around the world is every now and then we see these different variations that we typically see over here. We find them over here. For example, look at this lady from Africa. What's the first thing you notice? Well, probably the pipe, but... <laughs> Besides that, look at her eyes. She's got like Asian-looking eyes, and she's from Africa, right? Now, this hits a little bit home to me. Uh, for Angela and I, we actually have 10 grandkids now, uh, which is a real blessing. And uh, this is one of my grandsons. His name's Zeke. Now, the picture you see on the uh, left-hand side, that was the, uh, that was the first time I ever fed him some apple fritter. He was like a little baby bird, like... <laughs> Just keep it coming, Papa, you know. But the, the, see the, the, the picture on the right, he's got the toucan, so it kind of emphasizes some of his features. Look at his eyes. Look at those cheeks, right? He's got those Asian-looking eyes. Here's a picture of a Native, Native American uh, gal. Same type of eye shape, same type of cheekbones. And my daughter, uh, uh, his mom, always had, you know, neat-looking eyes and stuff. But we were like, wow, where did Zeke get those eyes? And so uh, my wife, she really likes his genealogical studies, you know, looking up your ancestry and all that kind of stuff. And so she did some research and she looked back, back, back and found out, I don't know how many uh, spaces back you'd have to ask her, uh, but she found out that one of her great-grandmothers was a Mi'kmaq Indian. Isn't that interesting? And now if you see Angela, you can see how native she looks, uh, right? But see, the genetics for that eye shape were in there and went all the way through, all the way through, and all of a sudden, whoop, come out in this little blonde, blue-eyed kid, and you go, wow, where'd he get those eyes? 
one race, one blood, same mix, two people. As a matter of fact, it is phenomenal that human beings, as sin-cursed as we will, will denigrate, be violent against people simply because of their outer you know, extremities. This Human Genome Project the article said, if you ask what percentage of your genes is reflected in your external appearance, the basis by which we talk about race, the answer seems to be in the range of 0.01%. People express hatred towards other people because of 0.01% of their genetic makeup. Isn't that incredible? And they think they're superior to others. See, we need to look past the genetics. These, you know, what their eye shape looks like or their skin color and all that stuff. Look at the person. Their mind, their needs, their, well, everybody needs a savior. And that's why I think we read in God's word things like this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees, man looks not on the outward appearance, but on, he looks upon the heart. When you hear people talking about interracial marriage, there's no such thing as interracial marriage. There's one race. The human race. There's the biological fact that we are one race, one blood. Take into this into account, though. There is a spiritual fact that all humans are divided into two races, spiritually. And what's the difference between the two? Well, it's the direction in which they're racing. See, there's the race of Adam, and there's the race of Christ. Those who are in Christ and those who aren't. And 2 Corinthians 6.14 makes a, a dire warning to Believers, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. You see, when people are talking about these different types of marriages, what they call interracial, the, the scripture only gives a warning uh, about one type of interracial marriage. It's not a non-Christian with a non-Christian. It's not a Christian with a Christian. It's a Christian with a non-Christian. That's the only imperative. Now, we know that there's situations that happen beyond after people get married and, and, and so on. But entering into that relationship, it's very, very important to consider these things. Now, we do see specific people groups around the world, right? We see people here that, well, they live over here and they seem to have this kind of assortment of melanin or they've got this eye shape or whatever it is, this, this certain stature or whatever. How do we explain the different people groups we see around the world? Well, the Bible gives clear indication of how that came about. For example, in the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, Babel, Babel, um, we read this, Genesis 11, 1 to 2. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Now, understand the context. God had commanded people after the flood to spread out around the world and very quickly, doing what humans do, they rebelled. Genesis 11.4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that uh, we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. That's, a, that's in rebellion against God. As a matter of fact, some uh, commentators have said that Nimrod, he was trying to build this ziggurat high enough so that if God sent another flood, he could be at the top of it and not get flooded. <laughs> I mean, if you're trying to escape the Lord, why didn't he think about lightning? Like, <laughs> I mean, Ananias and Sapphira... The Lord's going to take, anyway. Um, Genesis 11, 5, 7. 
But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. See what the Lord did? Can you imagine if supernaturally right now, this group of people, you can only talk to each other and you can only talk to each other and you can only talk to each other. What you're going to do is you're going to start communicating with those people. You're going to start working together. You're going to start to intermarry. And scientists know that if you take any large, uh, you know, interbreeding group and you segregate them somehow, what you're going to find is specific, uh, you know, collections of DNA uh, working together and you're going to see specific looks or even speciation uh, can happen that way. So, Genesis 11, 8 to 9 says, The Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Separate languages, separate genetic pools. And so you start with this group of people, they spread out, and they carry certain genetic markers with them. And that's why we see the different people groups we see around the world. And now, of course, travel is very common. It's very easy from what it was. And so many people are coming back to that medium brown uh, tone as people intermarry and, and so on. So you see, what, a, what our whole ministry is about is teaching Christians how to understand uh, these things and starting with the word of God, with the authority of the word of God. Many Christians have tried to import ideas from outside of Scripture to try to work things around here, and it really doesn't work. Compromise does not work. And so uh, our ministry is always trying to, to equip Christians to understand things from a biblical point of view. Because the world is teaching a far different view. As I mentioned, this is the view of human origins that I grew up with in state-run schools. Um, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> these are the images that I grew up looking at. I was born in 1966, the same year that Time Life Books produced these images. What did they teach? Well, see, from a common ape-like ancestor, there were different races of people that emanated from these ape-like beings. And so we got all these different racial groups. We got the Caucasoids, the Mongoloids, the Negroids, and the Australoids. And this embeds into people's minds that there are different races because we come from these common ape-like ancestors. I mean, you hear constantly today people talking about systemic racism, subconscious bias. Well, perhaps there is, but where did it come from? What kind of systemic, what, what kind of system is producing the concept in people's minds that some people are superior than others? Remember what the concept of racism is? There has to be different races. That's not what the Bible says. Where did the idea of different races come from? Not from God's word. And that, that certain races are superior than others. Well, the story of evolution, that's what they teach. Some races are more advanced than others. For example, you ever watch uh, European hockey, uh, uh, like a football game, soccer, <laughs> right? And you see one of the dark-skinned uh, players run out onto the field and the cameras are panning and they look up into the crowd and there's a bunch of white fans going, ooh, ooh, ooh. Pretty racist, isn't it? What ex why is making monkey noises to someone with darker skin racist, folks? You ever, ever see the movie uh, Remember the Titans? You know, the, the classic youth group movie? It's a pretty good movie. Do you remember the scene, for those of you who've seen it, where the, the racist white coach throws a banana to Denzel Washington, the, the black coach? 
It's pretty racist, wasn't it? Why is throwing a banana to someone with dark skin racist, folks? Because monkeys like bananas. You see, every young person in our school system has had that imprinted into their head. Dark-skinned, hairy apes turn into Caucasians. That's a racist concept. And it's taught everywhere in state-run education across the Western world, imprinted into the minds of young people from a very, very young age. I wonder why, in our sophisticated, progressive Western world, racism is still a problem. It's not because they're reading their Bible. You know, I'm not just pointing this out as a Christian creationist. Even high-level evolutionists like Stephen Jay Gould, he was a giant in his field when he was alive, he admitted biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1859, but they increased by orders of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory. They exploded. You know why? Because now we've got a scientific reason why I can say I'm superior to you. See, Origin of Species was written in 1859. Darwin talked about natural selection, survival of the fittest, and he didn't really talk about human evolution very much. But he did allude to it when he said, in the distant future, light will be thrown on the origin of man and his history. And so his next work, The Descent of Man, he delved into this quite specifically. And look what he said. At some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races. What's he talking about? He said at the same time, the anthropomorphous apes, that's the apes that look like people, will no doubt be exterminated. The break between man and his nearest allies will be wider, even than the Caucasian and some ape as low as a baboon, instead of now, uh, now between the Negro or the Australian uh, and the gorilla. Do you see this kind of hierarchy he's alluding to here? You've got baboons and gorillas, and then you've got like, you know, Negroes, and then you've got Caucasians. Isn't that interesting? Origin of Species was written in 1859. Descent of Man came out in 1871. And if you look at some of the commentaries from some of these magazines and publications at the time, for example, Thomas Huxley, he was known as Darwin's bulldog. He championed Darwinism. Look what he said. No rational man cognizant of the facts believes that the average Negro is the equal, still less the superior of the white man. Huxley described whites as bigger-brained and smaller-jawed. Racist to the core. You know, the Nazi Holocaust probably typifies racism at its peak, right? Most people know about the Holocaust. Did you know there was a Holocaust before the Holocaust, folks? In the country of Namibia, in uh, southwest Africa, in the 1800s, Germany was sending missionaries to Namibia to share the gospel of Jesus with these people. But in the late 1800s, they started sending people to start massacre these people. This is well um, documented, by the way. Most people aren't familiar with the history, but it's true. And we can see from some of the reports the way the Germans were looking at these people, uh, being about the same level as the higher primates, baboon being their favorite term for the natives, and they treat them like animals. The story is actually horrific. They created concentration camps. They beheaded people. They made the women actually clean off the skulls of their own people, boxed them up, and sent them back to Germany to study, you know, for their cranial capacity to see what kind of evolutionary level they were on. It's... 
It's a disgusting um, thing that happened. It was like a test run for the Holocaust. Most people aren't familiar with it. And you know, by 1904, they sent this German general, General von Trotha, and look from his own words what he says. At the outset, we can't do without the natives, the hard labor, but they finally have to melt away. Where the climate allows the white man to work, philanthropic views cannot banish Darwin's law of survival of the fittest. That was 1904. Survival of the fittest was coined in 1859. We're talking 45 years later. Ideas have consequences, folks. Same year, this man, Odabenga, was actually put on display in a zoo in the Bronx as a missing link. He was a pygmy. Scientific racism. 1907. <clears throat> These, uh, Scientific American describes the pygmies' small, ape-like, elfish creatures. Biology textbooks by 1914 identified all the different races. And finally, the highest type of all, the Caucasians, represented by the white, civilized white inhabitants. The New York Tribune was talking about uh, Australian Aborigines as missing links. As a matter of fact, there was a whole death trade in Australia, where again, uh, you know, the, the, the colonists were sending people over, hunting people down, shooting them like animals, beheading them and sending their skulls back to Europe. All under the name of scientific evolution, supposedly. And of course, the Nazi propaganda films, you can actually see them on YouTube. They've uh, got subtitles so you can see what they said. All weak living things will perish in nature. In the last few decades, mankind has sinned frightfully against the law of natural selection. Again, quoting Darwin. We haven't just maintained life unworthy of life. We've even allowed it to multiply. Now, I want to be honest. There are many modern evolutionists that would say, look, that was you know, abhorrent. We don't hold to those types of things. But these concepts are still in people's minds. And even just a few years ago, just 20 years ago, Philip Rushton from Western Ontario, he was a professor at Western, he wrote a book called Race, Evolution, and Behavior. And one of the commentators reviewing his book said, blacks, according to Rushton, have smaller brains, making them less intelligent than whites and Asians. Using 60 different measures, Rushton ranks the races along an evolutionary scale with blacks at the bottom and Asians at the top. That was at Western just a few years ago. Of course, this concept of systemic racism can be traced back to these things, but not the word of God. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So why is it that we see this rise of atheism in our culture? Because people have abandoned the foundation of the authority of the word of God. Even many Christians, well, you don't got to worry about Genesis. That's not a big deal. Let's just concentrate on telling people about Jesus. Doesn't seem to be having a lot of effect with people because they don't understand where the bad news came from, so they don't understand the good news. Why have we arrived at the way where we are in society? You know, in 2004, the Australian Broadcasting uh, uh, TV programming uh, put out a, a, an anti-God series called Testing God. Now, just check, your, check the word to see whether you should test God or not. But anyway, the episode was called Killing the Creator. This is a TV show. Look at how they laid it out. 
Why have we turned out the way we are? Once we believed we were unique, blessed with a soul and lovingly created by God in his image. Today, evolution says we're just a product of natural selection, the descendants of primitive bacteria, not the children of God. You guys ever get too much bacteria in your house? What do you do with it? You wipe it out systematically. And if that's all we are, if that child is not created in the image of God, man, just wipe it out. That's why we are where we are, folks. Because people are no longer looking to the authority of the word of God. They're, they're thinking, oh, we're just evolved pond scum. And many in the church have even kind of bought into this stuff. Evolution destroys the gospel. Frank Zindler, he was in a debate with a Christian on the existence of God. Look what he says. The most devastating thing that biology did to Christianity was the discovery of biological evolution. Now that we know that Adam and Eve were never real people, the central myth of Christianity is destroyed. If there never was an Adam and Eve, there never was an original sin. If there never was an original sin, there's no need of salvation. If there's no need of salvation, then there's no need of a savior. And I submit that puts Jesus, historical or otherwise, into the ranks of the unemployed. Now that's a blasphemous statement if you're a believer. But guess what? If that's true, if there was no Adam and Eve, if we evolved from ape-like creatures, if Genesis is just a myth, that's completely logical. And you know what? Christian publications today, Christian seminaries, Christian pastors are buying into this stuff. Christianity Today, 2011, came out with this issue, the search for the historical Adam. That, that's a thing in churches now and in seminaries. Was Adam a real person? Well, that's why I'm so proud of Answers in Genesis and what they've done at the Creation Museum. You can see a whole exhibit there um, at the Creation Museum talking about this issue because it's so important for Christians to understand. There's only one race, the human race, one race, one blood, no partiality. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. I have been at churches where I've sensed racist attitudes. The vast majority, absolutely not. But for any of you who've imbibed this kind of evolutionary story, and if you ever look at another human being because of what they look like on the exterior or where they come from, and you feel yourself superior, God's not pleased. One race, one blood. We've got some great resources with Answers in Genesis. I'll just finish with this really briefly. Uh, give you this opportunity to get this free DVD download again. You can check that out absolutely free. We've got uh, great um, resources like our Answers magazine. It's a real lifeline for many Christian families because we not only go into the science uh, issues we talked about, but worldview issues too, so that you can actually... Um, uh, help you understand these issues and deal with them. Really uh, encourage you to get this book, One Race, One Blood, which uh, documents in detail all of the things that I mentioned here. We've got a, a small group Bible study uh, series uh, called the Foundation Series, and one of, of the DVDs is actually dedicated to that. Um, Bodie Hodge has a fantastic book called The Tower of Babel, uh, Babel that you can check out. He's got a DVD version as well. And we have a series of books called The Answers Books that answer the top questions we get out when we go out and do a Q&A. Where did King get his wife? And how do you explain dinosaurs? And what about radiometric dating? And all of these, these typical things uh, that we hear. And of course, the Answers Book 4 actually deals with um, this whole issue of ape men and, and things like that. We've got our annual Answers Boot Camp, which is a youth camp for uh, young people ages 14 to 18. Of course, it's canceled this year, but you can go to our website and, and look into that if you've got a young person you think might want to get equipped. 
Um, and all of these resources, you can just go to the answersingenesis.ca website. And because we usually bring resources with us, but we can't do it because of social distancing, anything you want to order from our website until the end or until August 1st, it's free shipping for anybody here. So if you just copy that down, uh, free ship, HW, Harvest Windsor, free ship, and you put that code in, if you go to the answersingenesis.ca website, you can certainly... Uh, you know, make any order that you'd like. We've got great resources. We just launched a streaming platform called Answers.TV, well, the U.S. Uh, um, ministry did. And so um, this is kind of like a Christian Netflix or Prime Video. It's less than $7 a month Canadian. It's just fantastic. Over 2,000 uh, videos on there, apologetics videos. And actually Canada now, Answers in Genesis Canada, we're actually producing three brand new shows. You can watch them on YouTube or a Facebook page, Answers in Genesis Canada Facebook, or go to Answers in Genesis Canada uh, YouTube. Uh, we've got our youth outreach coordinator, Patricia Engler, doing a five-minute segment called CT Scan, which is critical thinking. And her whole ministry uh, as she works with us is dedicated to helping young people survive secular education as a Christian. So you can check out her show. It's fantastic. And then uh, I do a program called Great Conversations, where uh, great stands for gospel, relevance, evangelism, apologetics, and training, where I sit down with a guest and we actually discuss, uh, you know, ministry um, uh, topics surrounding that. I actually want to get together with, uh, with Pastor Aaron at some point. I never mentioned that to him yet, so uh, shh. I haven't asked him yet. But uh, yeah, we sit down. I sat down with uh, Sel uh, Hannah Selman Vey. She works with the pro-life movement. That was one of the recent uh, ones we did. And then I sat down with Henry DeRoos recently as well. I also do a program called Creation Basics, with, which again is a short five-minute uh, video program that you can access uh, through answers.tv or just our Facebook page, etc. Great ways to get equipped. Check us out on all our social media platforms. Check out the website. We have fantastic resources. If you've got doubts, if you've got things rolling around your your head, but how do you explain dinosaurs? And what about these dating methods and things like that? Get to the Answers in Genesis website. You will absolutely be blessed by the tremendous amount of resources.